Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today fiction science fiction horror fantasy crime LGBT Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred six point five FM Los Angeles, one hundred two point three FM Riverside, and one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. You are back in the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, of course, and I'm the mastermind at this psychotic place. <laughs> I'm still waiting. So, so I, I hear Mr. Uh, Martino in the background. Um, I am here, present. Drinking scotch already, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I'm a professional, Al. Of course not. You wait till yeah, please. It's after <laughs> afternoon. I know you're drinking scotch already. That's how it goes. Uh, never ends. Never ends around here. I'll tell you. Anyway, well, we'll get to your uh, latest movie review, Beatles Get Back, after the interview, and we've got a few other things to talk about, of course, and some new shows coming up. One more week of recording, and we're out of here for a couple of weeks, and. Um, yeah, that'll make Sounds everyone good. happy. Yeah, we're going to do a, <laughs> a best of for two weeks. And, of course, that'll be yeah, – actually, what it is is not the best of. It's going to be the top uh, most listened to shows, as best as we can tell. How's that? Excellent. You know, uh, five fiction and five nonfiction. So, you know, and you I didn't look forward make to it. it. You didn't make it. I didn't make it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you made it. You're uh, co-host on some, but your, your show right. made number 12 or something, so – you know. That's still not bad. I'll take it. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Except for when you see the reviews on it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Another day. day. Well, we've got a, 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 a real murder of a show, a real death of a show today. Um, we've got a, uh, a writer of, of mystery detectives here and stuff like that, and uh, he's doing it from his own experience. And his name is real, um, I think. Uh, our guest, Mr. Bruce Robert Coffin. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, 
<laughs> I always say, wait till the end of the show. <laughs> See if you're still saying it then. I don't know. It might not, you know, might not be getting as cuffing us, you know. So just, oh, well, so this is quite the life you've had just looking through this. Now, um, how did you get, um, from, from uh, being a detective sergeant into going into writing, um, in in mysteries and detective, like what made you jump over? You know, really, my first love was writing, so it it came kind of in the other uh, direction. Uh, for me, I I had a bad experience, a bad college experience with a writing professor, um, and it really caused me to to change course. And uh, law enforcement was never really my goal. I don't believe until that happened. So uh, I I made a departure from writing, and that you know that desire to. The young kid that wanted to be the next Stephen King, I think that was, especially if you're from Maine where I am, that was sort of the thing you all aspire to as writers. And uh, and so I, I went out in search of something else, and um, really I, I picked law enforcement simply because I had a relative who had been uh, a career police officer, and I thought I'd give that a shot. So it was really that mm-hmm. simple, and I and I came back to writing afterwards. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting, you know, that um... – that, that someone can ex- cause you to change kind of what you want it to do with your life um, that much, like a you know college English professor and stuff like that. Right. So did you go back and and uh, take them out later? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Everyone wants to know if I've had some way to get even, but actually, I have. I have written kind of an evil you know, short story where there's a comeuppance for a, for a, for a creative writing professor, but I'm sure it's all yeah. fictional. So you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> strange. They never heard from him again. He left work one day, and that was it. Well, you know, I, I find that interesting. Um, so you had confidence in your writing before you became a cop, so to speak. Right. But something happened, and you just sort of put it aside and thought, well, I need to make a living and and move on. And uh, but yet, you bring all of your service into your writing too, right? So you put a lot of yourself into this and your personal experience. I really do. It's, um, you know, I guess it's fortuitous in the, in the scheme of things that, that it worked out the way it did, because I don't know what I would write about if I hadn't actually had the career I had. Um, you know, I, I didn't set out to start writing again or that I was going to write mystery. Uh, it was as simple as sitting down one day and realizing that the iPad I had just uh, got for a gift had a, had a word pad, like document on it or program on it. And I started writing. I just sat down and started writing. And um, what ultimately became the characters in this Detective Byron series uh, started to spill out. And um, I immediately was taken with the idea of of the written word again and and writing fiction and something that wasn't dry and, you know, for legal purposes, but actually allowed me the the ability to be creative again. I really just sort of the bug, the bug uh, caught again and, and I just kept going from that actually started in 2012 and I've been doing it ever since. I, I guess in a way too, if you write about things that have happened to you and kind of your experiences, I wonder if, um, I, I wonder if certain things when you write about them or bring them into your book, uh, do you ever look back at some of these experiences and kind of wonder why they happened or if, 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 if it could have been different in somehow? I do. I mean, I think I really tend to examine a lot of that stuff. And I, and that's really a surprise to me. You know, I think writing is like any other business. You really don't know what it is you don't know until you've learned, usually the hard way. And for me, I think I, 
I had the idea that as I sat down and start, started writing, when I realized what I was going to be doing, that I would just tell, you know, entertaining tales and they would, you know, follow procedure as much as you can and still have the book interesting. And that would be it, that I'd make things up and, you know, it would be great entertainment and it would be fun, a fun way to pass the time for me. Um, what I found as I got doing this and deeper into it is that I, I began dredging up a lot of my own experiences or experiences of people I worked with. And so I think that better informs the reading, but I, I think it also adds a, a very emotional quotient to what I write. Uh, and I never really saw that coming. I thought it would, since I would be writing fiction, I'd be making all of this up. And I don't think I ever had any idea that I would draw that heavily on my own experiences to write these characters. Yeah. And I, that's, that's a specific point that I like to talk about with authors, because I think when you do that, um, and when you actually put a book out and have it published with something like this, in a way you're kind of, um, making yourself vulnerable. You're exposing some of, some of you to a lot of people that you haven't done before. Exactly. And I think, I think that takes a lot of courage. I think that that in a sense, some people just do it and they don't realize it. But I think that at the end of the day, when you put that out there, you've shared something that you probably haven't shared before. Right. And that, that opens it up to right. a lot of people. Yeah, I think it does. And I, you know, I think that was the hardest thing for me to get over. You know, when you're, when you first start writing, you, you're creating characters, especially your protagonist. And I think you're, you know, we have a tendency to all want to write that superhero and everything's great. And there's, there's no, you know, they're Teflon. And you realize if you're going to write anything that's worth reading and something where characters are identifiable to the reader and interesting, then you, you really have to incorporate that vulnerability into them. And that to do that honestly and to do it right, I think you have to draw on your own experiences. I think that's, that's the thing that brings the characters to life on the page. Do you also look back and then realize that there's a subtext or some sort of a meaning to it besides the story? Maybe you didn't intend on putting it in there, but it, when you look back at a book, you kind of go, wow, that sort of said something. Right. Uh, you know, I, sometimes I do that intentionally. Sometimes I don't. Um, it's amazing, I guess, what the subconscious is capable of when you, as a writer, you think you've got a handle on everything that you're doing. You're trying to juggle all these, you know, making it entertaining and making it realistic and making it follow procedure. But sometimes your mind is working behind the scenes and you don't, like you say, you don't realize until after you've written it what you really did, what you really accomplished. Whenever I talk to someone that writes in this this particular category or, or um you know, some sort of police procedure, like even nonfiction. A lot of times I talk to cops. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if, does it concern you the way American society is probably the best way I can say this, but does it concern you in the way that um, there's a lot of negativity toward policing in the last few years and, and, and the public, you know, likes to jump on, you know, policing and stuff like that without thinking. Right. Um, so, so when you actually get into writing a, a, you know, a deal like this, a book, and you've kind of got a lot of procedures, you've been a cop, you kind of know mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Do, do you find that you have to be careful in how you word things? Um, you know, generally, I think I'm, a, I'm aware of those things as I'm writing. Um, I wouldn't say they pigeonhole me, but I, I'm certainly aware of them as I'm structuring out a story. Um, usually... I think there's only been one book where I 
was at risk of going too far astray of that. And uh, my editor, uh, Nick Amflit, uh, is, is aces at calling that out. And, you know, we'll discuss it. And, and in fact, really, I think that was probably the book we differed the most on. And um, in the end, I took his advice and it turned out to be great, great advice. So, no, I'm aware of it, but I, you know, I think it's everything's relative. You know, I did that job for almost three decades, and I can tell you that even though it seems like, uh, you know, law enforcement in general is persona non grata at the moment with the general public or some of the general public, it's kind of had its ups and downs throughout that time. I mean, I remember that the 80s weren't necessarily late 80s weren't a good time to be a police officer. Um, yeah. Mid 90s, same thing happened again. It's almost like it's a 10 year cycle where either something happens or, you know, event-wise, or there'll be just a, you know, a change in public opinion for whatever reason. Um, yeah. You know. It's almost kind of like a parent-child relationship, you know what I mean? Yes. Yep. Because in a way, you're you're paying people to police you or to regulate us right. as a society, and right. sometimes we don't always like to be punished by our, right. by our parents. Or I think it kind of goes back and forth, and it's it's unfortunate because... We're all just people. Right. But, and no one likes to be told what to do. You know, it's funny. I think that's it's another one of those misnomers where people think that, you know, if you're if you're on that side, you're, if you are a police officer, then you don't ever feel that way. And, you know, I, I can tell you that's not true. You know, <laughs> you spend a couple of weeks working a homicide case and you're at home very little during that time and you're exhausted. And then as you're trying to get home to get a few hours of shut eye, the last thing you want behind you is the blue lights. <laughs> and they're just as they're just as annoying and just as you know they make you nervous as as they do if I wasn't a police officer when it's you. So I think I get it. I think everybody gets that. You know. Well, I'm sure. Well, you know, uh, I didn't um, work in law enforcement, but I did uh, private security management for a good amount of time. And uh, I think just like you, I wanted to be a writer, and then um, I needed to work. <laughs> you know, originally have a career right. uh, first. And, uh, you know, my dad was had done uh, security management and uh, firefighting and all this stuff. So I ended up going in, in that direction for a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, doing that type of work, that you're writing reports, Policies, policies, procedures, things like this are, you know, very matter of fact when, when you write this stuff, mm -hmm. what, where, when, why, how, all this stuff. Right. Uh, did you find any uh, difficulty in transitioning uh, either, you know, uh, going from a wanting to be a creative writer uh, into, uh, you know, the report writing aspect or after so many years of law enforcement, uh, then you know, going into the uh, creative writing aspect. Yeah, without a without question. Uh, yeah, both ways. Uh, you know, leaving the creative field part of that and and writing. You know, what I what I hoped was uh, at times flowery prose, um, and then getting the the word that you can't do that anymore. You know, there's very very few adjectives, very few adverbs in uh, uh, what we write. Uh, as as police officers, like you say, it's just it's it's nuts and bolts. It's the law. It's dry. It's matter of fact, um, and it's really unlearning all of the things I had learned as a writer. And then um, when you finally get the chance to to untether yourself and and try to write fiction, you have to learn that all over again. You have to almost make yourself not be boring if that's a if that's a thing, you know. And it's it's funny. I notice other police officers I talk to that have turned to writing. Uh, attorneys that have got into writing, 
doctors, um, anybody that had that same kind of a profession where everything was really uh, long and boring and but exact um, has to unlearn all of that and put emotion and substance back in their writing to be able to do that. Well, that's what you need to do, Dave. <laughs> sell some, sell some books <laughs> yeah yeah this is how we we're gonna we're gonna find out how to do this <laughs> and be successful right I'm win here um now your new book within plain sight yes or newer newer book it's yep. a detective byron mystery so who is detective byron so John is a, um, during the series, I intentionally created what I didn't want to be as a static character. So he, he actually changes and goes on a, a, a life change as these books progress. Uh, I've, I've built in character arcs to my main characters. But John, when you meet him, um, uh, in the first book is, is really badly damaged. Uh, his personal life is in shambles. He is in fact battling alcoholism and in full blown denial. Uh, but he is a great uh, detective sergeant. He's great with his people, and he is a tenacious investigator. Um, so those being his good points, and I wanted to be able to take him on what I felt like would be a very realistic journey, um, knowing the men and women that I worked with for almost 30 years and knowing their foibles and, uh, you know, the, their best and their worst, the people that trained me and the people I worked alongside and ultimately supervised. I wanted to put as much of that good and bad into John as I could to make him a realistic character. And as the series goes along, you see that change, um, relationships and, um, you know, his, his ability to deal with the alcoholism. So really by the, the time the fourth book comes out within plain sight, John is now learning to live with sobriety. And, uh, and I think it's kind of a, hopefully a refreshing take. I mean, some, sometimes these series, you know, the character doesn't get better or, or degrades into the other way of doing this. I wanted Byron to be able to try to have another shot at, at life and still figure out how to control and be a good investigator. So really that's, that's what that's about. So what, what do you consider your relationship with your character? Um, and I ask this in a way of some fiction writers, especially fiction writers, will say that they're like their children, they're like their family, friends. They have all these descriptions like this. And um, what, what is it for you? you no, know, I, I think it's almost a codependency, if that makes sense. Um, you know, especially after uh, I'm working on the fifth at this point. And if you spend that much time with characters that you made up, there's no question they become real to you. Um, you know, you spend sometimes the entire day with them in your head, even if you're not writing, they're still playing in the background. You're still working out scenes and that type of thing. So it's really... I think obviously for them to exist, I have to sit down and write these books. Uh, but for me to, to be in the zone and to continue to be creative at this point until I find another character, uh, to, to do it for me there, I, I depend on them as much as they depend on me. So, um, if I've tried to write something else, um, I can almost feel the whole group of, of the Byron teams, you know, standing in the corner passing judgment that I'm not writing about them. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds goofy, but it's a, I think it's a real thing. You know? I mean, it's, it's just I wake up in the morning and I want to write about these guys. So, Are, are, are you hearing voices in your head? <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite that obvious, but it's there. They are still there whether I hear the voices or not. You know, it's definitely, uh, you know, even, even just attending to normal things during the day, you're constantly in those scenes. You're constantly thinking, you know, how would I react if I was this character? How would I react if I was that character? 
So you do spend a lot of your time pretending to be them, I think, as you as you go about your day. And do you find that you actually work out your scenes in your head, or do you work them out? Some, some writers say that they work them out live. They actually get right into the scene and practice it out with their own physical bodies and get into it. And others say they, they do, do it all in their head. Where, where, how do you do it? No, for me, it's pretty much in my head. And I can, I can do that at the weirdest times. I mean, when you sit down to write you know, like a, a quickly paced dialogue or something, I sit right down and, and I immediately know that I'm going to, I'm going to be there for a few pages doing this because I'm in the moment. I'm in the zone. Uh, but as far as working them out or coming up with ideas that I need to bridge scenes, Generally, I just need something that's repetitive. So it could be, you know, doing yard work, riding around on the tractor. It could be going to the gym and using the elliptical. Uh, it's amazing when you're just doing something that's mindless, how easy these plot things are to work out. Whereas, you know, the alternative is sitting there staring at the screen and your fingers hovered above the keys and nothing's happening. Um, for me, a lot of times the best writing takes place when I'm actually not sitting in front of the computer. Well, I'm wondering, um, you know, the stuff that we see on TV and sometimes in novels for police work, uh, procedurals, uh, etc. A lot of that, you know, I've, I've heard isn't really, you know, true or true police work. And I'm just wondering, um, uh, for, for dramatization, how do you decide what you're going to uh, fictionalize and what you're going to keep um, uh, true to life uh, within your books? Well, really, that's just a, I think I've just kind of gone on, uh, experience and then you know you try to guess what you're doing will will kind of straddle that line between you know being boring and and being uh you know exciting but also realistic you know you can't write you can't write to the, to the honest point of you know waiting a year for dna results to come back because nobody would read that book <laughs> so I, i'm forced to take a few liberties you know but um no by and large i think i want to be able to show and i do show the reader you know the stresses of the job uh, you know, investigating murder itself is probably the, the most stressful job there is because there are so many people depending upon you to to get it done and to get it right. Um, there's a lot of pressure to to have the arrest right away. There's a lot of pressure to, you know, have the bad guy taken into custody so that everyone in the community can feel safe again and people can feel secure in their upper management roles, uh, you know, and take credit or whatever it is. Um, so there's a lot of that. Um and I want to be able to put that in these books where I think it makes it more realistic for the reader to realize that there's a lot more going on. Like, a, you know, that sometimes in these fictional detective uh, books or, or movies or whatever it is that, you know, that you're looking at or reading, um, it's almost like the, they don't have a life. And hmm. I, what I want to be able to show is that they, they do all have lives, but they're, they're forced to put them on hold. Um, no matter how bad things are at the moment until the case is solved. So there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of struggling to, uh, make, make these things that seem, you know, disconnected come together. Uh, it's, it's really tough knowing, I, I guess, and, and, uh, hats off to all the family members of, of real police officers that, that do this, um, because they're the ones kind of holding the fort while the job gets done. And I, I think that's one of those things that, you know, they call, the alcoholic cop or the divorce cop a trope, but I think that's, that's very realistic. And I think that's a reason it is a trope in writing because if you're writing real police officers, that's just part of the job, you know, putting your family or your friends in second place and, and dropping everything every time the phone rings to go work a case. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. 
Yeah, I really got that. I read uh, Jeffrey Reinick's book, and I got to know him. He uh, retired FBI, and he did that. And I, I, I will say, it's it's people people don't always realize how how hard it can be. Um, um, but I, so with this structured life that you've had, mm-hmm. this this um, you know, it was. It, pretty regulated life in a sense mm-hmm. uh, being in law enforcement. So when you cut, when it comes to writing, can you continue that? Can, are you the type that can just sit down and go, okay, well, I have, nobody's in the house. I've got this time from two till four or two to six, I'm going to write or, or does it, it does, do you have to be in a certain mood in order to do it? No, I mean, it really depends. <laughs> you know, if it's coming, if it's not going well, we're all very, uh, we're all very good at finding things to <laughs> keep us distracted, you know, laundry and yard work <laughs> oh, and re- yeah. house repairs. Um, but when it is going well, no, that's really not, not an issue for me. Uh, I find that, uh, if I'm, if I'm having an issue with a scene or something along those lines, I can still sit down for that time frame you mentioned. And maybe I start with editing something I just wrote. And a lot of times that will naturally progress into the next scene. Um, sometimes the writing itself or reading the writing makes what you were trying to do clearer. So I'm pretty focused on that. I guess I, I'm pretty good about doing that. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's as much about, you know, deadlines as your publisher gives you as it is about wanting to get the book done for my own satisfaction. Right. Right. And I wonder, so have you got this, you say you, this is book four and you're going to do book five here. Right. So have, have you kind of already decided about your main character or main people that you use in the book, um, like your detective Byron and stuff, is, is it kind of pre-outlined? You kind of know what's going to happen in the end. It's just about writing to get there, or is it just totally by just by book and just doing it? I'm, I'm probably more of a hybrid where I, you know, I do have some things thought out ahead of time. Um, you know, generally, I know what the overarching theme of the book is, if, if, if you want to call it that. I know what it is I want to have happen. Um, and I'll, and most of the time, I will already have the opening scene, that, that gotcha scene that I want to drag you into the story. Um, but how I get there, I tend to leave um, fairly loose. You know, I usually have a pretty good idea of the direction I want to take and how I'd like the thing to end. But um, I don't I don't write a real... Uh, real detailed structure because I think I feel like, you know, some of the best writing comes from, I have no idea where it comes from, you know, if that makes sense. Um, and, and if you pigeonhole yourself, I think into a too structured format and something that you've spent 60 pages writing for me, I would be bored to death writing that book. Once I'd finally plotted out at every point, I wouldn't want to write the book because I've left nothing to chance. And so I, I kind of keep it loose. I'm, I'm between a plotter and a pantser. I just feel like, it's more fun to write if I don't know necessarily everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Now, is each book going to stand on their own, or, or do you have to read them all? No, they do. Uh, I intentionally write them so they'll stand alone because I'm one of the worst at finding a series right in the middle of a series, not realizing when I'm reading the writer for the first time that, that they've written a series. I just I pick up a book, and I realize after I finished it, oh, my God, this was the fifth one. So knowing knowing that, I think we all probably do that, but. Knowing that, I try to write them. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In such a way where I will hint at things that have occurred in other books, but not give it away so that you'll hopefully want to go read them. Right. Now, um, someone that's never heard of you, which I find this hard to believe. But, <laughs> uh, so as they come, if they come across you uh, and, and they were, to, they were only going to buy one book, which mm-hmm. book would you suggest that they buy to kind of get to know who you are as a writer? Well, you know, I think they all get, they'll hopefully get better as, as the series goes on. So from that standpoint and, and just looking at the reviews and type of thing, I guess within Plain Slate would probably be the highest rated one to, to date and uh, won the most awards. But I think my favorite still and, and the one that has the most emotion attached to it is is Beyond the Truth, which is the third novel. Um, that one is still uh, I have a I have a special place in my heart for that book. So I think if I was going to recommend just one book, uh, Beyond the Truth would be the one I would go to. When you're doing the uh, uh, seat of the pants type of writing, mm-hmm. um, has have any of your characters kind of gone off the rails, done anything to surprise you? Uh, has the has story gone any place uh, unexpected that you 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 didn't really uh, uh, foresee as you were as you were uh, thinking about uh, how how the plot was going to unfold? Yeah, that does tend to happen, and and sometimes it's just. It's just me, just, you know, in my, my brain, I start writing in some, some direction I didn't imagine the story would go. And sometimes it's, it is the characters that drive it in that, in that way. You know, I might try to write something or force something. And after I've written it, it doesn't feel honest. Like I know this character well enough, even though every once in a while they do something outside of the norm, it doesn't feel like them. And so I'm, I'm more apt to, 
you know, kind of let that character take the reins. And if, if they, if it seems like my writing just wants to go in a direction different than what I had planned, um, I kind of go with that and see where it takes it. Uh, some, and most of the time that actually works out being a better idea than what I was trying to make happen. You know, um, let's, 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 let's get some good gossip out of here. So, um, <laughs> now, now, now the, all the extra characters that you have in the book mm-hmm. and, and people that supporting characters and stuff that you've written in, right. um, are, are they people you know, or do you know, people you've worked with people, you know, you, you've been at a coffee shop and you see a couple of people talking and you kind of pick up their characteristics do you are you doing that sort of thing um for supporting characters or oh yeah or not oh yeah no i I think i think most writers if they're being honest will tell you they'll they suck up things like a sponge i mean we're we're always aware of what's going on around us and and the things that i am not drawing on from my prior career are from from the things i deal with you know that i see or hear every day uh still so I, i i grab things wherever i mean if you be careful if you see a writer sitting near you in a diner because uh, guaranteed they're listening. And they're paying attention. So, um, yeah, you, you find good stuff everywhere. Um, some of my characters I have um, taken pieces and bits and pieces of, of the people I worked with to to create a sort of a amalgamation of, of, you know, the people I worked with to make a character. Sometimes they're just totally made up. I've really just sort of gone, you know, by the seat of my pants. And you, you I think you have to learn to trust your instincts when you do that. But, um, yeah, for example, John's boss, uh, Marty LaRoyer, is really kind of a compilation of, of three different um, lieutenants uh, that I worked for. Although my wife would say I, lieutenants whose lives I made miserable as a detective sergeant, but <laughs> I, I prefer to think of it the other way. So, But, yeah, I think it's just fun. If, you, if there's things about people you worked with that are quirky or, or telling or whatever it is or add something to the story, even if it's a comedic value, um, I think, you know, I would be crazy to waste that stuff. So I definitely grab it up. So tell us who famous that you've, <laughs> uh, give us, give us some names here. We want to write this down. I can have them on the show next week right. and see, see what they think. You know, come on. Yeah. We're here to cause no. trouble. You know what is funny is that no one, I've never had anybody because people ask that and, and they're like, geez, was that so and so or is that so and so? And, you know, no one's ever come to me and said, Hey, am I that jerk in your book? You know, it's amazing how that never, <laughs> no, never. Oh, well, that, you see, you're doing it right. right. You've got, <laughs> you've, you've done it right then, right? Or they're, they're, or such, they're afraid of my answer. I don't know. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> well, either way, it's right. working out. Right, right, true. You know, uh, so when you, when you see uh, television shows mm-hmm. or movies or Netflix and stuff, right. and they deal with, this kind of mystery, crime, fiction sort of stuff that's within modern era times. Right. Is there anything that you think is done really well that, that you just you just love? Or is there anything that you just can't stand that's done so badly that you can't believe people watch it? <laughs> well, we're, we're going to have them on too next week. <laughs> yeah. I have a uh, – when it comes to reading, I, I mean, there are obviously have some faves. I think one of the people that does it very, very well uh, is Michael Conley. Uh, the Bosch uh, series is really well done, and it, believe it or not, I think it translated very well into into television, which I was surprised that it would do that well. I, I don't think – I don't think if it was just a movie it would it would work that well, but I think in the, you know, season-long format, I think it works very, very well. Uh, and it's obvious that as a crime reporter, he was allowed – a peek behind the curtain because he he gets the police thing dead on 
Um, I think Tess Garretson does a great job. If anyone is familiar with the Rizzoli Isles series, uh, the, uh, her, her medical examiner detective relationship, I think works pretty well. Uh, and, and again, is very realistic from the professional perspective. Um, you know, I always have an issue with law and order. <laughs> My wife loves that show and, and she's always telling me to shut up because I'm making fun of scenes or pulling apart things. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I find the most, um, unrealistic is the court procedure. Uh, you know, there's the, no one ever gets to rule on an objection and people are leading witnesses. And I'm like, my God, if, if police work was really like that, I wouldn't have retired. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of what they do. They, they have to direct it in a certain way to make it like, right. They, they want an answer or they want something and it's kind of, you know. Yeah. You got 45 minutes. That's it, you know. Yeah. Cause normally court is so slow and delayed and right. takes, t- you know, <laughs> takes, takes forever. Right. And, right. You know, so you ever write a report on one of those things? You're in there for six months and you're bored to tears right. most of the time. Right. But just, 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 yeah, just saying. But yep. um, influences, biggest influences for you, people that are, you know, whether a writer or a singer or movie or whatever it is, other cops. Um, any- I think probably uh, I could I could say that um, there's probably been three major influences on me. Uh, uh, Joe Wambaugh, when I was younger, I read a lot, um, and I I think that really because it even means more to me now you know, being another retired detective sergeant to have turned a career into to writing like uh, the two of us have. Um, I would say James Lee Burke uh, is right up there without without question. Um, I, I read his books. I love his books. Um, and he's probably the, the best writer at being able to take really gritty, uh, noir scenes and stories, and, and yet somehow he still blends them poetically as if, you know, the, the, when he's describing you know, uh, New Orleans and that, the area down there, it's very poetic in how he does it. And it's, it's kind of cool. It's like he's painted something nice on a dark canvas, if that makes sense. And then from my own personal experience, um, there's a writer named Kate Flora, uh, that, that splits her time, uh, in between Maine and Massachusetts. And she, I met her while she was writing a true crime story back in 2001 about a, a murder that I worked. And, uh, she became my mentor when I retired. Um, I was brave enough to tell her I was trying to write and, uh, she took me under her wing and, and really, I think if it weren't for her, I probably wouldn't have gotten to the point where I finally got published. What about me? <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to mention the host's name. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, your books have been amazing. It's just yeah. helped me a great deal. That's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> well, you might make it into a future book, Alan. You never know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see that you've written uh, short fiction as well as uh, long. Uh, I have. Are, do you like uh, one format better than the other? You know, from an instant gratification standpoint, which seems like where society is now, that we're all, everything is, mm-hmm. you know, clicking on likes and getting download instantly and all that other stuff. I think the short story really fills that uh, for me. I, I can get a, a germ of an idea and sit down and, if, if the writing's going well, I can bang out a story in a day or two. You know, it still needs to be rewritten and reworked, but I usually get the story down completely in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, that's gratifying in that you won't forget it. You can go back and work on it again later and fine tune it, but it's out mm-hmm. and it's, and it's out of your mind and it's done. Whereas a novel, 
you know, most of mine have taken me between, you know, a year to a year and a half between the inception and finishing the thing. So uh, there's no instant gratification in that. And it's, it takes so much concentration to stay in a story like that, to finish it. Uh, it's a lot easier to write a 10 page yeah. story than a 400 page one uh, without question. Yeah. And the short, the short reads do really well. People buy tons of them constantly. Yeah. That's what I find in, in true crime anyway, was yeah. sell a lot of them. And, um, so do you like the getting um, interaction with, with people online or you kind of avoid it? Do you, do you like having that social media thing going on? You know, I, I miss actually doing more in-person events than, you know, than virtual. That was never really a thing uh, pre-COVID. You know, I everywhere I went was either, you know, flying to a conference or driving to a, you know, a, a library or a bookstore in, you know, somewhere in New England. And, um I did a lot of that. I mean, I was doing two or three of those uh, appearances a week uh, sometimes, when, especially right after a new book came out. And uh, to have that taken away was tough. So I think we've all kind of – I think I think there's a place for uh, Zoom and Crowdcast and those types of things now that, that would never have existed previously. But it's certainly not the same as the seeing person, uh, in-person uh, gatherings, you know, seeing people and getting to chat with the readers and signing books and – it's just more of a personal experience. Um, I think Zoom has its place, and I'm, I'm glad that that's there where I have maybe contacted readers I would not have met otherwise. But, yeah, I'd rather do the in-person events. I just think there's, you know, it's like cutting an album for a year in the studio and then not getting to go on tour. You know, you don't want to talk to your fans by phone. You know, really what you want to do is go out and see them. And so for me, I, I miss that a lot. So I, hopefully that comes back and, and more uh, – and more, uh, you know, head-on, face-on um, appearances once we get hopefully out of this. Uh, I definitely miss getting to, to see the readers. That's that's a huge motivator to go back and finish the next book when you know there are people waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about seeing people live and, and interacting and stuff. It's it's kind of a good thing. And, you know, because people online can be mean, right? People can <laughs> right. also be rude. Yeah. I, I, I just noticed lately or lately my whole life, I think people can be really, really, um, I don't know, just awful online. Well, and I think things you things you say or do, you know, that way are, are also easily, you know, misinterpreted. Um, you know, you can, you can be texting back and forth with somebody you're close with and it's real easy to, to take something the wrong way because they're not there in person to explain it to you. Um, and I think that's another danger of not being face to face with people when you're, you know, at an event. If, if something comes up or is, is taken the wrong way, it's real easy to sit down and hash it out and explain what you meant. But, you know, if they're the 90th person, you know, scrolling down the page, uh, you know, that, looks like the Brady Bunch uh, intro and you don't actually see them. You don't know that you've offended somebody by saying the wrong thing or, or that something you said was misinterpreted. So I think that's, that's always a danger when it comes to that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Plus I, I don't, I don't know what the need is nowadays too, because um, you know, you get a lot of people that dislike something or hate. Something. I, I, I get it personal here too, a lot of times for the show mm-hmm. and, and I don't quite get why, people consistently write to you telling you how much they, they hate you or dislike what you do. <laughs> right. And I kind of think, well, well, you know, there's a thousand other things to listen to. Just right. turn the channel. Yeah. Maybe they love to hate you. That's why they keep doing well, it. Yeah. You know? I think there's that in general, there's this real love to be unsatisfied or to be aggressive and just dislike 
there's a lot of that going on. I just it seems well, to be trendy. Some know? people are happy being miserable. I don't think there's anything, you know, maybe the upside to that is that we've if if they hate the two of us, then we've we've made them happy, I guess, right? And so how you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well that's kinda of how I do now. I mean there was a time because I'm I'm a little bit older too and it was kind of a Holy cow, like this is pretty serious. <laughs> I, I'm, I work for the CIA or something right. and I'm called, called names like, holy cow, these people are angry. But and now I'm realizing that it's just, it's just that. Yeah. Know, just yak, yak, yak. And they're on someone else tomorrow. Right. Right. You know, right. So not that important. Well, um, it, you know, there's always something to complain about. You know, we joke about that. Um, you know, you can find people. You know, these books are very realistically written, so obviously there is a little vulgarity here and there between characters when they communicate. And um, some people have a huge problem with that. And, you know, I get that, but at the same time, I'm trying to write realistic. And I think I always kind of scratch my head when I find out that they're more upset with uh, the F-bomb than they were with somebody getting their head cut off. You know, I never quite understood the two. The correlation, you know, <laughs> makes me wonder if either my priorities are messed up or theirs are. I'm not sure which, but yeah, you're just you're just not there. Right. You're not with it. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, you can't please uh, everybody. You know, you do the best no. you can. I think if you please yourself, and and there's anybody out there worth you know that wants to listen or wants to read, then and we're doing something the right way. Yeah, but you know, I noticed on this this last book, Within Plain Sight, just on the Amazon, you've got 242 reviews, but they all look like they're five stars. So people are scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> they're not going to put even give you a four star here. So they're like, no, he will. He can check online. He's he's, he's part of the CIA. You know, come on, if, something going. If on. only it was that easy. Yeah. <laughs> so now, do you um, do you have a website? Do you have a place that you want fans to interact with you? Or, or uh, I do. You know, uh, yeah, they can. Uh, you can find me at uh, brucerobertcoffin dot com. Um, Hopper Collins also has a Bruce Robert Coffin page um, for the Witness Impulse uh, Mystery Line. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, um, Amazon, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, Facebook, because uh, they limit you on the number of followers or friends you can have. So go to Bruce Robert Coffin, uh, the author page for me, and uh, give me a follow. And then also from my website, uh, brucerobertcoffin.com, you can sign up uh, for a, uh, to be on the email list as well. So kind of keep you up to speed on what's going on. Wow, sending pictures too. Right. Um, <laughs> so it, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. So, so, so for readers, for people that are your fans and that know you, mm-hmm. um, what do you think that would be very surprising for them to find out about you, as in something you listen to or watch, or you know, do you practice ballet or something that's <laughs> that? Your readers would be shocked. They'd be going, no, really? You like? I was actually uh, a professional artist, uh, oil painting, uh, portraits, and that type of thing while I was uh, working as a police officer. Um, yeah, I won a bunch of awards, did a lot of commission work, and uh, and I've given all that up to write. So, <laughs> Wow. Actually, one of, the, well, one of the pieces I was commissioned to do that I'm, that I'm most proud of probably was um, I did a uh, it was a gift that I was commissioned to do for the FBI, uh, Boston Division, Boston Field Office, for the 100th anniversary of the FBI. I did a, a large, a huge oil painting uh, of the first agent ever killed in a line of duty back in 1918. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's still hanging in the, 
in the office down in Boston today, which is kind of cool. Edwin Shanahan. Wow. Well, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's great. Yep. That's your, your artistic and stuff, yep. but, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Um, uh, but I'm sure there's something more, but you never got to tell us. <laughs> he's not going to tell us. He's, he's cut us I off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all right. <laughs> we'll get it. Uh, COVID, how was that? How, I mean, I mean, we know it's bad, but I mean, um, are you the type of person that when something like COVID hit and some sort there's a lot of stress going around and the community's kind of in turmoil, um, does that affect the way you write or how you write? It definitely made it harder. Um, I found writing itself didn't get more difficult. What was harder for me was concentration. Um, you know, I would find ideas that I liked and then give you an example. I mean, the, the fifth Byron here I've done, I've, I've written well into, you know, sometimes as much as half the book and then hated the plot and started over. So there's been five different plot ideas for this fifth book. Uh, and I never had that problem before. I think that's, that's definitely a COVID related issue. Um, to, to the earlier point, I was writing a lot of short stories. I was getting invites to be submitting to different anthologies. And I think three or four different short stories were published this year that I wrote. And, uh, I had almost really given up writing the short story because I didn't want to, you know, take anything away from the novel. So, uh, it, it was, it provided the opportunity to do that. But I think without COVID, I don't think that would have happened. So it's definitely been harder to concentrate. There's just so much craziness going on. You know, you almost have to, Shut yourself in from the world if you want to get the writing done. Yeah, don't turn on the news. Right, it's true. It's <laughs> just, true. Just right. stay away. You know, I just keep mine on me TV. I watch the old shows, <laughs> old westerns, and the, no news. You, know, you, you wake up every day and, and you turn it on, and uh, you know, I look at my wife and I'm like, I write fiction. I can't compete with this. Like this is just crazy. You know. Yeah, I say that to some of the writers too. I was just like, it's crazy because you could write something and kind of go. Oh, people aren't going to believe that. But then right, right. What, half the stuff I see going on in the world, I just think, holy cow. That's right. like, if people, what? Really? Is that, yeah, you know, yeah. so. If I if I wrote that stuff that's actually happening in real life, you know, yeah. my editor would never have allowed that to get by his desk, you know, yeah. a few years ago. They'd say and it now back it's and, norm. Yeah, right. they'd say it back and say, we have to put this in fantasy. Like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> right. like, We're not doing this. What are you, you know, what are you doing this stuff for? What would what advice would you give to someone that has never or they're writing but they're like you they're in a job doing mm-hmm. something like maybe maybe not police but they could be doing something and uh, mm-hmm. all of and but they want to write and they write but they they don't know what to do what what would be the big advice you would tell them you know just just do it um, I think you have to do it for the right reason I, I think you have to make sure your goals are in in the right order um, you know we because every Every writer wants to be published. I think that's sort of the holy grail, you know, that everybody wants to attain. But, you know, the reality is there's a lot of great writers out there that have not been published. Um, you know, there's also some luck involved in this. So I think if you really want to be a writer and you really want to do that to yourself, um, enjoy the process. You know, enjoy the process. Uh, you know, my my point that I make to people is that what, Stephen King's written what? I don't know. Say Let's say 80 novels for the, for the sake of argument. And... You and I both know that he absolutely must love writing, the process of writing, or he wouldn't do it because he doesn't need the money. He's been doing it forever, uh, close to 50 years at this point. And so do you honestly think that if, if all his contracts dried up tomorrow and nobody would publish him ever again, he would stop writing? 
So the motivation needs to be that you just love to write. You love to sit down and explore your imagination and, and play with the written word because that's, that has to keep you going. If, if you're doing it for money or fame or any of those other things, the odds are stacked so far against you that that's not a reason to write. You have to actually love what you're doing. Um, and if not, then, you know, find some other pastime because it's, it's definitely a tough way to make a living. Yeah. But, you know, Stephen King, what does he write those romance or? <laughs> <laughs> love love novels or whatever i don't right, i don't, right, I don't right. get into any of that stuff so I don't. we just had one of his uh co-writers that richard chismar i think that's his yeah uh-huh. he's a pretty pretty nice guy but uh, stephen king yep. come on i mean that's yep, that's yep. Right. do you ever look back at your, your your earliest works or your early manuscripts or even the first published books and kind of reread them and kind of go wow um i'd write that differently well, you know, I'm afraid to go back and read the first couple at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think you, you know, like I say, I think we all hope that our work gets better as it goes on or that it's better received. Uh, I think if you do this all the time, I don't think you can. It's like anything. I don't think you can help but get better. Um, you're not just doing the same thing over and over again. You know, you're actually trying to improve upon what you do. And um, the storytelling hopefully gets better. The writing itself gets better. Um I, I don't think it's healthy to go back and look at that other stuff, really. you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm scared to, you know. I just had a show HLN and did that one, my very first book that I wrote, and I thought, oh, my God, right. that's the worst book ever. And <laughs> the guy's holding it up, you know, and showing it. I'm thinking, oh, no, it's terrible. Right. People are going right. to think you're the worst writer. And then and then they're like, yeah, it's just a great book. And it's like, oh, my God, it's terrible. But, you know, what can you but do? But it's the one that – but it set us on the path, right? I mean, the, mm. that first book has to be the one that set you on the path. So yeah. right or wrong, it was it was good enough, and, and yeah. it started the ball rolling. So. Oh, and it's probably not as bad as I see it, and it's probably not as good as some people see it. It's just kind of rare, right. you know, and it's just right. – you know, and yeah. plus I think as a writer you can look back at something and kind of go, oh, I that's not correct, or I should have done right. this, right? <laughs> you know, but at the time you didn't know it, so – well, I remember the public readings doing that, and you'd pick a section, and then as you're standing up in front of a group of people and reading a, a spot that you formally liked, as you're doing it, you get tripped up because you're reading a sentence, and you think, why the hell did I ever write it like that? Yeah. You know, what was I thinking? <laughs> That's horrible, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely can experience that. Yeah. yeah, and you're standing in front of the crowd and go, this guy can't write, and you put, right. <laughs> put the book down and walk out. Right. That's it. Yeah, I've this had is horrible. It. Yeah, don't read this garbage. Let's get something else up here. You know? It's uh, true. Well, so so Coffin, is that really the – is that a writer name or is that your real name? It, no, it really is. Wow. Um, but I, I'm actually related to Robert P. Tristram Coffin, and uh, – uh, the you know, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, poet and uh, with none of that apparently rubbed off on me. But uh, yeah, no, it was funny that that last name was great for marketing mystery novels. It was never a uh, never an advantage in my prior career, but it, it works out well now. No, so. no detective yeah. coffins here to see you. <laughs> right, oh, right. oh, great. That's, that's not a good thing. That's not, no, I can't, no. that's not going to turn out well. Anyway. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure. And uh, the book we've been talking about is Within Plain Sight, and it's a Detective Byron mystery. John Byron novel number four. Right. Make that the title any longer. And right. uh, the guest was the author, and that's Bruce Robert Coffin. Thank you for being here. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Have a great holiday. You too. Thanks, Bruce. 
tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.